Kikuyu are a violent people. They resent the loss of their homes. They resent the enterprise, even though they're going to benefit from it eventually. They resent us. But I doubt if they'll cause any serious disturbance, except for Uchawi. Uchawi? Uh, witchcraft. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. Welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And I'm hoping that we got past all the witchcraft and then badness of the last episode and we're moving on to this one. And I just got to say that, you know, I'm ready. I know I had a mental block last time, but I got my charms. I got my uh, my idols with me. Nothing bad's going to happen this episode. Yeah, I got my charm, uh, also known as a can of beer, and I'm ready to go, too. <laughs> I have a bottle of beer, so I'm hoping that I am not um, cornered by a beer truck later. I feel like that would be appropriate. So, yeah, we're protected. We're good. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> bad joke aside, we're going to get into uh, that. That's that's a good omen, right? So, all right, season three, episode 12, The Jungle, air date, December 1st, 1961. Number one film, still Blue Hawaii. Number one song is still Big Bad John by Jimmy Dean. Uh, those should sh- change soon. Um, so I couldn't find anything for of import for December first, but I did find something from November 29th, uh, sixty one. That I, you know, because we always talk about space and animals. This is a very appropriate. United States successfully placed a chimpanzee named Enos in orbit around the Earth, clearing the way for the first American astronaut to break the pull of Earth's gravity. Enos lifted off from Cape Canaveral on board Mercury Atlas Five at nine oh seven a.m made two circuits of the globe and was recovered safely, safely at 12.28 p.m. Atlantic Ocean. After the successful flight, NASA announced that one of two men would become the first to be sent in orbit, settling on either John Glenn or Donald Deke Slayton. And I don't know how that worked out, but I hope for the best. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it was successful this time. I couldn't handle any more of the... uh... (laughs) Do you think think Enos just passed by the remains of Goliath and was like, oh... You know, so yeah, um, but yeah, I like that. It's like like the way that this is written. It's like they chose the it was between two men, John Glenn or Donald Deke Slayton, and it's like that's the only time I think people have read the names Donald Deke Slayton. You know, so but yeah, that like just I understand we talk about the space race often, and we talk about like you know how this is all going on, but it's like just, it's weird to think that we're still we're talking about a TV show that is you know been off the air for a number of years and it was occurring during a time when an American, you know, man had not been put into to, to orbit yet. Like it's just, yeah. it's just a bizarre moment, but yeah, that's where we're at. Yeah. Well, it kind of plays into this episode. I mean, there's monkeys in the jungle, so, uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and there are sounds of monkeys in this episode. So, <laughs> 
place. Yeah, Maybe right. it was him as he passed overhead. <laughs> That's true. We don't like, know. Where is that sound coming from? <laughs> yeah. It's just Enos, you know, or, or it's E-N-O-S. I think that's how you pronounce it was Enos. So I don't know how they name monkeys. It seems like there's a lot of odd monkey naming going on. But I guess if you burn through a lot of them, you run out of names after a while. So, you know, no, burn out burn was not that was not the word I meant to use. But a lot of a lot of, of monkeys, uh, you know, they 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 were there for the cause, you know, but I'm sure they went through a lot of different names as opposed to numbers like a deli. All right. Serving number seven. Send them up. You know, that got dark. I'm sorry. Um. Yeah, and that's not the last animal we'll discuss today. <laughs> I have some notes about a certain performer in this episode. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I have plenty of notes about a certain performer as well, and we'll get there when we get there. This is a lot of fun. We're going to be. This is going to be. The discussion is going to be fun. The episode itself is not fun. Um, it's quite a good episode, actually. So I'm tipping my hand, and it's good to have a I nice thought, re- refreshing. I thought it was kind of fun. It was kind of, <laughs> uh, nice refreshing. Um, I don't know. It's been, I feel like it's been a while since we've had a really meaty episode of Twilight Zone to dig into, and this feels like this is one of them. Yeah, and I, I always love when the Twilight Zone goes a little bit spooky, so mm-hmm. this uh, this was right up my alley. Yeah. So we'll jump into cast and crew here. This episode was written by uh, directed by William F. Claxton, who we previously discussed on The Last Flight all the way back in Season 1, which I remember uh, both of us reviewing it pretty favorably. Mm-hmm favorably um so go back and check out that and uh i think he directed one other episode that we'll talk about in the future um i think it's the uh ray bradbury episode if i'm not mistaken i think he does i sing the body electric i think that's the one maybe yeah i'm pretty sure but i think there's two i think he does one oh no he also did the uh, the little people that serling wrote okay um so yeah he's got two more coming up um so uh, this won't be the last time we'll talk about William Claxton. Uh, this episode was written by Charles Beaumont. It was based off of a uh, short story that he did with the same title, The Jungle, that was originally published in the Worlds of Science Fiction magazine, the December 1954 issue. So I did get a chance to listen to, well, I should say listen to, because I still have that audiobook that I highly recommend on Audible with a bunch of authors and stuff that read his short stories. Uh, I dug that out and listened to the jungle and I'll kind of talk about it. I, I, I don't really want to bring it up now because there's some differences maybe after we go through the plot of this one, that'll be interesting and discuss and see if it was good or bad that they left these things out. Uh, but I did get a chance to check out that short story. Yeah, I I was you're, I I have nothing else to say there. You're right. So you you listen yeah, to the story. I'm just, and I'm I'm like, just yeah. happy when writers get a chance to adapt their own short stories into teleplays, because mm-hmm. I feel like it gives them a chance to kind of cut the fat out and really decide what's important at the root of the story. So I I especially with Beaumont, who always has something critical to say about his episodes of the Twilight Zone. I think it's important that he gets the chance to actually adapt his own work. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And also, I mean, because, again, writing for time is different than just like word count, right? Like, so a short story can go as long as it wants to. But this has to yeah, fit into a certain. Part, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and there's there's certain things that you can't do for uh, budgetary reasons that he did in the short story. So uh, between budget, runtime, and 
just general um, flow of the episode and everything. Uh, it was interesting to see what he changed. So we'll jump into cast here. We have John Denner, who plays Alan Richards. Uh, he was the captain in The Lonely. And more importantly, he gave us this wonderful uh, reading. A robot. That's him. And so, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, there are no robots in this episode, so we didn't get a repeat of that. Um, but, but yeah, yeah he was, was in one other episode of Twilight Zone we'll talk about in the future. But if you want to hear us talk about uh, John Denner, you can go back to that episode, The Lonely, and check it out. It was just like watching this the first time through without looking at anything. I'm like, that guy looks familiar. Why do I know that? And I'm like, oh, it's the robot guy. Like it was, I was so excited. <laughs> um, and I don't know if we were tracking this at the time because it was only um, episode seven of season one. He was in an episode of Hawaiian Eyes. So I just got to bring that in just to mention in case we didn't mention it back then. But robots and Hawaiian Eye. Very nice. So next up, we have Walter Brook, who plays Chad Cooper. He was in one other episode of The Twilight Zone, uh, lots of war films, and one episode of Hawaiian Eye. Yeah. So no- <laughs> and also an episode of Auto Man. I don't know if you're familiar with that show or not from the 80s. Uh, no, it was it was after Tron. The film was in the theaters, which it didn't do well. But TV's like, you know what? We should try to do something kind of like Tron. And so they came up with Auto Man, which yeah. I could. <laughs> it's hard to describe what it is exactly. But the main character of Auto Man, who was a man that could also become a car, um, his outfit was very sparkly and blue with that um, reflective light, like tr- like the the Tron effects. So. Um, didn't last very long, but yeah, Walter Walter Brook was in an episode of uh, Auto Man. And uh, some fun trivia about Walter Brook, because that's my new favorite thing. Uh, he was an expert on Thomas Jefferson, <laughs> and his favorite comedy was the Kentucky Fried Movie. That was his favorite movie? Wow, that's a... Oh. His favorite comedy. His favorite, sorry, his favorite comedy. Very um, specific. That is, but that's still a very specific comedy to, to think was like your favorite one, right? So that's a very absurd movie. Like, I enjoy it, but... I don't think it's aged terribly well. Um, no. I did like he, the, the Bruce Lee knockoff. He said off. it was the yeah. funniest film he'd ever seen. Direct <laughs> quote from Walter Brook. Well, I mean, maybe he didn't see other movies. I don't know. But uh, like, there's the bit. They, they do <laughs> like the, he was in enough of them. <laughs> they, the, the Bruce Lee. Mo- you've, you've seen the Kentucky Fried movie, right? Yeah. Oh. yeah. I like it when they, they show the Statue of Liberty in and, and New York City and it says Hong Kong. And it cuts to action of whatever's <laughs> going on. Like, yeah, there's there's still some good moments in there. But, oh, man, that movie is not uh, held up over, over time. So if yeah. that was favorite comedy, then good on him. Yeah. So he also loved Thomas Jefferson. So <laughs> I, I don't know. It's yeah. weird. Yeah. No county uh, fairs, next though. Up, yeah. It was <laughs> he, he Not a fan of county fairs, though. It wasn't specifically mentioned. Not a fan of a county fair. No, he hated them. Um, it actually specifically says he hated county fairs. No. Uh, next up, we have Emily McLaughlin, who plays Doris Richards, Alan Richards' wife in this. Uh, she didn't. She only had about eight credits to her name, but she was known as the queen of the daytime soaps, and she was one of the uh, founding me- uh, founding cast members on General Hospital, mm-hmm. and she was in seventy six episodes of it. Yeah, and her character would come back over time. Like, I know I was reading about that. Like, so she would show up, like, over, was it 20, 25 years of the show? So, like, yeah, she was, uh, yeah. I mean, hey, if it's something that, you know, that pays well and you get to act and you're known for, like, uh, there's a certain amount of celebrity being in a soap opera. So good on her. Yeah, it seemed like she made her entire career Mm -hmm. just on one role. So that's cool. Uh, Next up, we have Jay Adler, who plays Tramp. In this episode, the homeless guy, um, 
he was in one other episode of the Twilight Zone. The only only other thing I saw of note for myself was Stanley Kubrick's The Killing. Yeah, I had nothing else other than his name was Tramp. Yeah, but he was in a Stanley Kubrick film, so that's always important. Uh, next up, we have Hugh Sanders, who plays Templeton. He was previously in Judgment Night, and he's going to be in one other episode of the Twilight Zone one. I can't remember if we talked about him, but uh, if we didn't, he was also in The Wild One with Marlon Brando and two episodes of Hawaiian Eye. Yeah, and he was in To Kill a Mockingbird, so I thought that was worthy of mentioning. Oh, God, I yeah. missed that. You know, <laughs> just, just To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, we have Howard Wright, who plays Hardy. He was in one other episode of The Twilight Zone. Uh, Donald Foster, who plays Sinclair. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, Howard, Wright. Only- Howard Wright was in an episode of Johnny Midnight. Thank you. I have to, I have to bring that up and mention it. So before Oh, we man. <laughs> Sorry, I missed that. I you was trying to blow past them. Seven Hawaiian Eye alumni in here. I have to bring up the Johnny Midnight. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> that's all I got from him. Yeah. Uh, Donald Foster is Sinclair. This is only Twilight Zone. Uh, didn't really see too much in his filmography. And we have Jay Overholtz returning as the taxi driver. Uh, who's in seven other Twilight Zones. So, yeah. as as Paul likes to say, collect them all. Yeah, and uh, there's one other uh, cast member. We'll get to them when we get to them. Don't want to... Yep. Kind of a spoiler. <laughs> don't want to overstep that one, because it's going to be an awesome conversation when we get there. Um, well, I'll just say this. This other person, person, this other part of the episode probably had a uh, much longer and illustrious career than other people in the episode. So that's what yeah. I'll say about May have that. gotten paid more, too, from what we've learned <laughs> about the dinosaur. <laughs> but yeah, that's true. So, all right. So, yeah, that's your uh, that's your cast and crew. Let's, uh, let's certainly take it away with some very ominous music. The carcass of a goat, a dead finger, a few bits of broken glass and stone, and Mr. Alan Richards. A modern man of a modern age, hating with all his heart something in which he cannot believe, and preparing, although he doesn't know it, to take the longest walk of his life right down to the center of the Twilight Zone. That's the noise you hear when there's a dead goat involved. You hear that, man, like that's all you hear, and you get scared. But what what's think- Serling talking about? A dead goat? That's a weird thing to introduce the episode with. Yeah. Is it, do you think this is the only Twilight Zone episode with a dead goat in it? <laughs> I don't I don't know, but part of me wants to say, yeah, but part of me hopes that like that a dead goat shows up like three more times in the series and becomes like, you know, it's trademark that we're just we didn't know about. Yeah, so we can stop beating the uh beating the dead horse. We can it gets right to the, the dead, dead goat. goat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um but yeah, I mean, we, we like, so there's literally a dead goat in this as opposed to a dead horse. So I don't know. I feel like this trumps it a little bit. So yeah. Uh, anyway, let's, let's back up a little bit and get to, get to how we got to the dead goat. Yeah. So we start off on a cityscape with the classic Twilight Zone city music. What, yeah. Why? Like that felt like that, that big city music. And I made a note here that always feels like the hustle and bustle of the city. It always feels like it sets up a more comedic episode. And I felt like tonally that did not match anything else in the episode. Yeah, we'll talk about it. I I think they're just trying to set the time because there's a lot of like old world versus modern world in this. And they really wanted to set this as like a modern hip place like the setting. So uh, I I think that's what they're going for. But. Yeah, every other episode that has used that has definitely had a more comedic tone to it. So it sets you off on kind of a wrong expectation based on what we've seen so far from the show. Yeah. So so yeah, you have um, it starts off with uh, 
uh, Alan walking out of like the bedroom in his apartment, talking to his wife, looking for his cufflinks. And she's at the bar making a drink. And he's like, I, I, I misplaced my cufflink. She's like, oh, did you look wherever? He's like, no, 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 I found it. He's like, I also found some other things too. Um, and he's confronting his wife about this. And he, and his, <laughs> he found three things. And I just want to ask you, hey, Kevin, while you're in your bedroom, like what, what three things do you think you're going to find when you're looking for a cufflink? I don't know. Do you, do you have any guesses? Um, you, you don't want to know in our house. Um, <laughs> somebody at work actually recently asked me the likelihood that there was a human bone in our house, uh, just because we collect like animal bones and stuff and clean them up. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, I'm, I'm like 95% sure we don't have any human bones, um, trying to get a human skull, but they're, they're really expensive. Um, I wonder why but he was like, he was really freaked out that I wasn't like a hundred percent sure that there wasn't a human bone in my house. So this seemed fairly regular to me. The fact that he pulled uh, these items out of her drawer. So I have, I have the three things here. I'll play this real quick. I like how matter of fact he says it. A human finger, a sacred death stone, a vulture's claw, not just a death stone, but a sacred death stone. That's the important sacred. One. Yeah. And a, and a vulture's claw and a human finger. I, I think it was just a regular death stone. <laughs> I don't know about you. It yeah. didn't look too sacred like, to me. What if it was a sacred vulture claw? You don't know that. Like that could yeah. have been, could have been Maybe a, it was a sacred human finger. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it had, it had a nice little like painted nail on it. I mean, clearly there's some upkeep on that finger. Um, but yeah, it was so, so bizarre to be like, Hey honey, I found, um, I found these three things in our, in our old bag with cufflinks. One of them just happens to be a human finger. We're going to, we're going to skip right over that and get to the death stone and the, the vulture claw. I think the finger is the more important subject of conversation, but they blow right by that. Yeah. If, if I found just the stone and a vulture's claw, like that's pretty normal. We have like claws and stuff and stones laying all over the house. So like, that's pretty normal, but a human finger might make me, uh, even me do a double take <laughs> claws and stuff is the store right beside spells and such like that's, <laughs> that, that's the two, that's the two boutique stores in the mall. You have spells and such and claws and stuff. I, you know, I like that. That's, <laughs> but yeah, you know, like death stones, yeah, so, whatever. Yeah. So his immediate reaction is like, yeah, I'm going to get rid of these unless uh, you have any objections to that. So she kind of stays quiet for a second and he goes and throws them in the fire and she starts panicking at that moment. And uh, then we get some questionable dialogue <laughs> at this time here. Yeah, um, I, I was I was really nervous for the episode based on where this started out, because uh, she is afraid because they had recently got back from Africa and she's afraid that whatever was there had followed her back. And he refers to the people that follow these uh, witch doctors and this old religion, everything, these old superstitions as being like ignorant, weak people. And she says she can feel it around her and everything when she walks around. And I was there's the line where he's like, what are you afraid of? And she just says, Africa. <laughs> Yeah, but like, oh, she says she yeah, feels it. She's like, I can feel it all around me like a huge dark animal. So, like, there's this foreboding that she's feeling. So she's keeping these talismans and, like, you know, protective things around, uh, knowing that her husband is not a fan of them. So she was trying to hide them. Yeah. So I, I was really concerned this episode was going to go down like some xenophobic, like weirdly racist. Yeah. yeah, like, because last week we talked about, um, 
you know, the the weird feelings we had about the <laughs> the Civil War uh, episode of the Valley. The week. honorable Southern cause, yeah. So then we go to this. Yeah. Where, yeah. So I was I was a little bit concerned at this point, but <laughs> it takes a turn pretty yeah. quickly and uh, kind of lets you know where it's going with this stuff. And I, I felt a lot better as we kept going into this episode, it kind of gave me the vibes of like cannibal Holocaust, the way they portray, um, you know, it's questionable in the way they portray the natives in that movie and everything. But at the end of the day, that's a cautionary tale is to be more, uh, open to other, um, civilizations and everything and their customs and not just to come in and steamroll over an entire country's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just because the people that get killed brutally in that movie just came in, slaughtered their food sources and they were just totally disrespectful. They ended up getting killed, you know? Um, and this was the same way you find out, uh, that there's a reason that they're being haunted by or cursed by these witch doctors in Africa. Yeah. So, so Alan like burns the, the, you know, the, the, the commonplace finger, which I had in my notes here and I wrote this a couple weeks ago and I was going to ask how many fingers did you guys bring back from Hawaii? Like not that you didn't, that the question isn't, did you break fingers? My, my question is how many fingers? <laughs> well, uh, as we learned, uh, spam is just to satiate people's hunger for <laughs> human flesh on the islands. So I did eat a little bit of spam, so I, I had to bring some human flesh back to <laughs> I like subside the idea. those cravings. <laughs> like you had spam and then like the dessert was ladyfingers, and you're like, this is right. This feels right. You know? Like, <laughs> so no, so after he burns the you know protective charms, he's like, Well, I'm gonna go out, and she's like, Well, you're never coming back. And he's she's like, Don't open the door. And he opens the door, and it is the most um sudden and abrupt moment i think i've seen in the twilight zone so far where there is a dead goat in the hallway of this apartment and I building. applauded <laughs> yeah and i knew right then and there you were on board for this episode like there's a dead goat like you know like we're 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 full tilt going into crazy town here right so um and i i like that he sees it and then then, then obviously he gets to sterling talking about the dead goat and, and all that with his intro uh, but then Alan still goes into work that night. My my take is if I happen to open a door and I see a dead farm animal, I'm closing that door slowly and I'm not going to work that day. Just regardless of curse or no curse, I'm not going to work. And I'm going to call my boss and be like, I'm so sorry. There's a dead goat in the hallway. I cannot come in tonight. <laughs> yeah, maybe call the police, wait for them to clean it up. Just file a police report. Like somebody put a dead goat outside my door. <laughs> Um, we think it's you know, a threat. Maybe, maybe call your boss and be like, I might be a little bit late or not coming in tonight. Uh, there is a sacrificial dead goat outside of my apartment door. But no, he goes to work. Yeah. I mean, he he was fine with it. Yeah. He was fine with the human finger and the dead goat. And was like, <laughs> I'm going to go to work. See ya. But then he's talking about how. So there, there's the, here's the one nitpick. So, and I'll, so he's, yeah, in this, I, I yeah. had the same thing. If you're about to go where I think you're going. So he's in this boardroom and they're talking and they show this uh, image of like what he's basically doing. He's in charge of like, um, a, a dam or something, to, something to control like the water to actually make it relatively safer. I don't know if it's hydroelectric in nature, but it's supposed to be something bringing progress. And I just want to point out it's a dam project and they're all working for, you know, it's like a little on the nose that it's, you know, dam, you know? So, um, and I also like that this is, this is a, an image that they show of Africa with like average rainfall. And I'm like, 
in this today the and the day of memes this is literally showing the rainfall in africa you know that's what this image is <laughs> um you know <laughs> Not where I thought you were going. No, no, but that's not my nitpick. My nitpick is uh, they're in this boardroom and they're talking about like, well, we need to move forward with this project. And Alan's like, yeah, but the Uchawi. And they're like, what's that? He goes on to describe like black magic and the locals. Yeah, well, they ask him like, how do the natives feel about this project? And they're like, they don't like it. Yeah. They don't like it. Like, uh, they're like, they're not going to be dangerous or anything, but there is these, the Uchawi, the witchcraft down there. Yeah. And, and he says he sees examples of it. He's seen people wither away within minutes that were otherwise healthy. And it's like, that's in stark contrast to you trying to convince your wife to chuck a finger in the fire because it's for weak people. That felt like a weird like pivot where he's yeah, seen evidence Yeah, I actually had that. to rewind and make sure it was the same guy going through all these superstitions <laughs> that it was in the first scene. Because I, it, it was so jarring because he's like the voice of reason in this boardroom with these people like defending the witchcraft and the superstitions. Whereas at home he was like, ah, now nah, just throw it away. It's fine. Well, he has this moment. It's almost like out of dogma where he's walking around the boardroom talking about belief and superstition. And uh, I do like yeah. that scene, but you're right. It yeah. is an, it, it's drastic juxtaposition between his character in the beginning of this well i like that like the, he pulls out the rabbit's foot of the one guy and the guy was like what's luck have to do with magic and it's like and I, i'm glad that the character was like you realize you're you're talking out both sides of your mouth he didn't say that but it's like you're an idiot and then the other guy stands up and he starts to say something he's like yeah but you believe in astrology he's like it hasn't led me astray yet it's like you're an idiot as well and it's like this whole thing yeah. of like he's the- like and you won't walk under a ladder yeah and we work in a building that doesn't have a 13th floor we we work for a company run by witches <laughs> yeah and he was like and you can't tell me that like panther bones can't foretell the future and i'm like i didn't know that was an aspect of panther bones but sure you know whatever it, but it goes this whole like thing of like basically it's um you know sterling has toyed with well it's not certainly this is um you know that this isn't his story but there's been elements in the twilight zone before of like well nick of time which was matheson not sterling but like the dissection of like of luck and belief we've been at this intersection before and it's interesting to have that conversation again of like oh just because you don't believe it that makes it ridiculous but yet your own beliefs are ridiculous you yeah know? yeah well it, it's also i mentioned the old world coming into the modern world and everything yeah everyone at this point just thinks they're so much more well advanced than people were you know or people are in less uh i guess quote unquote civilized areas of the world and everything um but at the end of the day when you boil things down like stuff is just kind of um uh just disguised like you don't think about it and there are these superstitions that we carry around it makes it a point to kind of show people that like hey this this actually could mean something yeah so he's basically saying you know if we move forward with this project we're we're all doomed and then they're like okay we should move forward with this project like that was like there was like that was it (laughs) like you know and so as, as, as abrupt as it is from, from, you know, the apartment to there, from the boardroom to the bar that we see next, um, that that's very jarring, but, but I'm glad that they get all that business out of the way early because then the episode pretty much starts off in earnest at this point when he's at the bar with his friend, Chad, which I don't know if this is on purpose or not, that Chad is a country in Africa. I don't know if that's purposeful, 
but uh he's talking to chad and he mentions the goat at that one point he was like he's like how can you get a goat you know with like short notice and he was like he's like if i asked you to get a goat on short notice what would you do and he's like i'd call my psychiatrist like what was wrong with you um <laughs> And it's funny because that's actually a funny moment. And um, John Denner was actually instructed the entire time by the director, William Claxton, to never smile in the episode. So that's actually a pretty funny moment. But the entire time, this whole thing, Alan never, ever, uh, he never smiles. It's always a serious face. Yeah. And, yeah. and immediately after this funny moment, he you can tell he's nervous. He ends up knocking over his drink yeah. and spills his glass on the bar. So, like, you think he's just kind of having a good time with his buddy Chad, and you realize that he's dead serious about this, and he's he's starting to be a little bit frightened, yeah, a little bit it, unnerved. And so it's 3 in the morning at this bar, which we forget that, you know, other places in this country are open later than 2 in the morning. Uh and as he's getting ready to like square up his bill, he pulls out um, a charm, and it's a is it a tooth? Is it a claw? I don't know what it's, it is. It's a lion's tooth. He it's refers a lion's to tooth. It as a, a, a kapitu. Okay, and it's like a protective amulet made from lions. a lion's tooth yeah. that Doris gave to him, his wife. And so, yeah, he's now he he's talking about how he's worried that she is being rotted away by this, and he feels like belief in general is rotting away everyone. And so, and then like Chad makes a joke about like her being like, you know, or makes a comment about her being ill. And he's like, everybody's ill. You know, he, so he goes, he pivots right back to this notion of like belief is what causes people that holds people back, you know? So he's very dismissive of this and he's actually kind of exasperated that he finds this, you know, other ward in his pocket and he puts it on the bar. So it's like, I, I, I don't mind this characterization of Alan. I just don't know. I don't know how they could have framed the conversation in the boardroom a little differently, you know, where you want to be sympathetic towards him because it's a, it's a direct pivot. He changes course, like from where you first see him to the boardroom. And then he's right back to where he was in the bar. I don't know if it's yeah. a matter of just well, business or what. In, in the short story, there's another character who comes in, who's basically the a guy who is um, making common sense out of superstitions and all that. Okay. So it, having another character or even maybe anyone else in that boardroom going through and trying to also convince him that these things are real, I think it would have worked a little bit better on keeping his character that, uh, uh the, uh, I, I don't know what, what you would call well, him. Well, you could this, have, but... you could have had him be the straight man, so to speak. Right. And have him be dismissive. Like let's, I know we're re- we're writing the episode, which I've not done this for a while. So credit to me. Um, have another person in the boardroom be like his like you know partner that went over there with him that saw evidence of this and he could have easily been like yeah it could have also been explained away that this person was sick and he didn't know like he could have easily been like kept keeping the same position but have even yeah, Chad you know have one of the other characters yeah because yeah, Chad was I, I think he, the approximate character of what Chad was in the short story because Chad was uh, not in that um he was basically the friend that went with them to Africa and he was, he was the one that was the one siding kind of with the superstition and the magic. Whereas Alan or whatever the main character's name in the short story was, he was always on the side of like the, the skeptic Mm -hmm. in the story. And and again, it's a small nitpick, but it's totally different than the rest of the episode, you know? And so, yeah, it's, it's yeah. just weird. Cause yeah. he, he flip flops during the first 10 minutes of this episode, like constantly. Yeah. 
So then uh, they get ready to leave the bar. It's 3 a.m. He's like, yeah, I told my wife I'd be out late. It's like, yeah, 3 a.m. Uh, and as they're leaving the bar, um, there's a bit where, uh, you know, that it was, I forget as he's leaving, then they, sh- they, they, they do this dramatic zoom on the, <laughs> the, 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 the tooth. And it's like, yeah, well, <laughs> it's too late. Cause you see them get up and leave and you obviously see him leave the tooth. Yeah. And then they walk out the door <laughs> and then you get this dramatic zoom on the tooth. It was like, yeah, okay. We saw, it. we saw. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh. so then. He gets out to his car, which I just also want to nitpick. Who gets in their car on the passenger side of the car? Yeah, that was really weird. I wrote that down, too. (laughs) (laughs) I get that it fits, like, the frame of the camera, but it's like, you you could have had him walk from behind. It's fine. Yeah, there's some crazy camera stuff going on in this. They could have pulled the camera back a little bit and had him get in the driver's side. But he was also probably really drunk and shouldn't have been driving. That's fair. So maybe he thought that was the driver's side. He he was probably like Don Draper levels drunk. I mean, that was like, that's appropriate for like, that's madman level, you know, sorry, madmen level drunk. Um, But yeah, so then the car doesn't start. And he goes back to the to the door of the bar, and I just want to point out the name of the well, bar. Well, yeah, Chad is already left because yeah. he calls for Chad too, and he's already like turning yeah. the corner. Yeah, he's Ch- gone. Chad's out the door. He, yeah. He's run over two stop signs. He's already <laughs> down the street. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's going home to his secretary slash mistress, and he's going to call his wife later. Um, but the name of the bar is called Bar. I don't know if you noticed that. There's just a neon sign that says Bar, which I figure is a good name for a bar because at least you're identifying it. And then so Alan goes yeah. up, like pounds on the door. No one's there. I could there. totally imagine this character, Alan, for uh, just how no bullshit and uh, how straight he plays this character going to a bar called Bar. Bar. Just yeah. like, yeah, let's cut the bullshit. Yeah. Let's go to the bar. And like, what would, <laughs> what would you like, sir? Drink? Okay, well, we'll just do that. That's fine. You know. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, it becomes then the situation of he's trying to get home. Uh, Alan's wandering the street. He goes to um, he goes to a payphone to make a call, right? And uh, Yeah. And this is when this is when um, the episode starts picking up speed, and it doesn't stop. And as he's like yeah, trying so, to make this phone call, yeah. Well, it's, so the payphone is out of order. He tries to use it and then finds the out of order sign kind of laying on the bottom. And he's like, ah. So he leaves the the phone booth, and the phone starts ringing. So he goes back in, answers it, and when he answers it, all he hears are uh, noises of the jungle. Yeah, and I like and. There's a nice moment of him just like slowly dropping the receiver and then walking out of the payphone, and then in turn looks at yeah. it, and all you hear is the noises of the jungle. Well, this was the first shot that I was realizing that we were witnessing something visually that was on like the upper echelon of Twilight Zone because there's a scene in this shot. The camera kind of follows the dangling phone down and through the uh, phone booth you can see him slowly backing away from it outside yeah. of the booth on the other side. And it's such a cool shot while you're still hearing the jungle noises. Which, at first, you know, because the the, the, the noises they're using, if you just listen to them separate, they, they sound kind of funny. But then the notion this guy has been creeped out ever since throwing a finger in the fire and seeing a dead goat, and you hear all these noises, and they don't stop. And there's no there's no logical reason for why it would be happening. It gets very creepy very quickly. Um, yeah. yeah, you put yourself in that position. You're like, that'd be the most terrifying thing in my life if I picked up the phone. <laughs> yeah. and it's just jungle sounds, especially in that situation at 3 a.m. 
on a out of order payphone. Yeah. <laughs> well, then he he starts leaving that, and he and he starts hearing the noises more. Like, like does he start hearing the music at this point? Well, there's music that picks up eventually, like drums, and he hears the animal noises. Well, the yeah. wind picks up at this point because he starts walking down the street, and then we get another amazing shot. Yes, this crane shot that goes up into the tree, and you can see him through the branches, and the wind starts kicking up, and the sounds come back. Yeah, that's why I want to point out that it's a really you don't see a lot of crane movement in the twilight zone not, not vertical that often no and, and there's really nice. there's quite a few there's maybe like three or four of these types yes. of shots in this episode and it's amazing looking and just uh unrelated uh the actor uh, john dinner talked about how since he was running around this uh street set at night they would have like specific markings on like where you're supposed to stop he talked about how he kept missing his mark because it was so dark and he was supposed to be freaking out and he talked about how like these long nights of shooting, like the couple nights, because he kept missing his mark. And I, you know what? I don't. I, I can't blame him, right? Because it's like, how do you, how do you run with like dress shoes on? You know, like on these wet. Yeah, streets? and it's supposed to look terrified on wet cement. <laughs> yeah, in the dark and find that spot. <laughs> so he kept missing his mark sometimes. So this makes me wonder all the times that like the cameras would move right and he's just not there. You know, so. Uh, but yeah, really, really nice crane shot, though. I, we don't always get to talk about the camera placement, but this was wonderful. Yeah, this whole episode from from that moment on with it, because I wasn't really noticing anything too crazy mm-hmm. until we got to that payphone. Um, so as that's happening, a cab rolls up and uh, he hops in. He's riding. They hit a red light. Uh, the light turns green and the cab doesn't go. And he keeps he starts tapping the driver on the shoulder. He's like, hey, it's green. You can go taps him the driver slumps over and he's dead just out <laughs> <Yeah>. of nowhere <laughs> yeah i i put in my notes here the, the driver the light is green you can go to the afterlife like i just he just slumped over immediately and i like that uh his reaction is to get out of the cab and kind of like look at the guy and be like all right well i'm gonna go now like that's the right reaction to that <laughs> like he just kinda... he just immediately <laughs> throws him in the fire like yeah. all right i'm done with this i'm done with this yeah <laughs> um, yeah, but then he ends up so, like, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. Yeah. The noises start again at this point after he checks the driver. And I think this is where the drums start coming in. Okay. So he runs away and he ends up in front of a costume shop and, uh, we have, uh, a questionable African <laughs> witch doctor costume, <laughs> <laughs> which I like they initially used. I was, I was kind of mad the first shot of it because it was like a still and it was an obvious still of it. But then, I'm pretty sure they used a real person they did. in the window display. Yeah. And I I like it. You could see him moving a little bit. And as much as I was complaining about that in the last episode where they were supposed to be frozen, I like this because you didn't know whether or not that was going to attack him. Like the mannequin in the window in the display. And and since they yeah, and since they had an actor in that part, like standing still, I really, really, really thought that was going to pay off later. Yeah, and I'm kind of happy it didn't because I was expecting it to. um, And they play off on that immediately here. So he walks away realizing that it's just a mannequin and he lights a cigarette. He's stressed out and a hand pops up on his shoulder. Yeah. And they're kind of playing on the fact that like, oh, maybe this this uh, this guy did come alive and came out of the window or something. But it's obviously a white hand on his shoulder. So (laughs) (laughs) there's only that like split second where you're like, "Uh oh, Um yeah. But it turns out to be this homeless guy who's looking for uh, some money and uh, he gives him some some cash and he starts asking him like, hey, 
where's that sound coming from? But the guy's not hearing any of it. And he's he, not hearing the drums. He's not hearing the jungle sounds. And, and he's trying to be like, well, you know, my ears aren't so good anymore. And then, and then Alan's like, and this is one of those things again, you remove it from the episode. It's ridiculous. He's like, Hey, homeless person, I'm going to give you additional money. Would you walk with me in the dark through a park? Yeah. <laughs> like, like nothing odd there. I'll give you $10. And he's like, I don't, I don't know. And then he's like, I'll give you $20. Like <laughs> it's this whole thing of like weird, like, can I, like, I, I'm a well-dressed stranger. Would you walk with me through a darkened parked homeless person for $10? Like that's a but really I weird proposition. To that character though, <laughs> yeah. because the drums start getting a little bit louder and, um, Alan starts turning around and looking around. And when he turns back, uh, the homeless guy is just gone. Yeah. With his 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah. So I like that he just hightailed it. He's like, I'm out. Like this guy is like, I might be homeless, but this guy's crazy, you know? So yeah. So that's it for, um, for what tramp was, was the, the character. Yeah. Name. That's what yeah. he was credited as. Yeah. Well, at least he got a credit because the, uh, the, uh, guy in the window did not get yeah, credit, which I was trying to find was... that and I couldn't find anything about that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's running through the streets. They're all empty. And he's starting to get really panicked at this point. And he runs into a stone statue of a lion outside of the park. And uh, I love that they had that giant church behind him as well at this point. Because that's the kind of thing, like, no matter how modern we get, we still have these old superstitions and religions yeah. within these modern societies and everything. And it made it only made sense to have that giant cathedral behind him going into the uh, end of this episode. I didn't even think about that. That's a good call. And, and, and like, I liked that when you see the stones lion's face, the first time you hear a roar and yeah. it's like, it's, it's kind of, it's playing against expectations and he walks up. It's something about it reminded me of the exorcist and I can't put my finger on what it was, but it felt very, uh, um, it's yeah. like exorcist three <laughs> <Maybe. like> yeah. <laughs> with the giant church and everything. Well, but I'm thinking like the um, lion faces with like the statues being like, you know, it just made me think like something at the beginning when you saw the image of Pazuzu as a statue, I don't know what it was, but it was a very, yeah. And yeah. like the loud wind and yeah, everything. That's probably what know. it was. I, I could see what it was and the roaring and everything. Cause they did use animal sounds in it. But then he walks um, up and like, he pats the head of the lion. <laughs> like they're there. Yeah. Like that's, that's the rational thing of like, this is a stone lion. He's not going to get me, you know, but, but he like, I like that Alan this entire time keeps trying to reset his expectations of like, I'm a grown man. Why am I freaking out over this music and these sounds I keep hearing that have no logical place in the world? It's like it's like every like three minutes he has to be like, okay, I'm good, I'm good. And then something worse happens, you know, and he panics yeah. further. So he goes into the park and we get uh we get a few more crane shots in here that are not and not as great as the tree scene earlier, but it still looked great. He lights another cigarette and uh I like everything seems to kind of be back to normal and I don't know if you caught this when he lights a cigarette, he throws the empty pack just on the ground and litters it. Yeah. And as soon as he litters it, the rustling in the bushes and the sounds start again. <laughs> so it's, it, you know, he's basically being punished for what he's doing in Africa, just kind of steamrolling over these areas down there. Um, as soon as he trashes the earth up here, He's being punished immediately again. Well, I also like it as he's trying to run out of the park. He runs up against the fence and there's a nice like wide shot. Not, not wide, but the way it's cropped in, it looks like he's in a cage. You know, he's yeah. like, you know, behind the fence, he's freaking out. And it's like, you know, he's like an animal trapped. He ends up running out of the park and eventually gets to his apartment. And that's whenever like everything kind of like everything dies down. Like 
there's like he yeah, has that panic he's, of trying he's to panicking. He's knocking at the door. He can't seem to get the door open. And then out of nowhere, the noise is stopped. Uh, the uh, the door is unlocked. He's able to get into his apartment building. Yeah, and then he gets into his apartment. No goat, evidently. Um, and gets to he walks over to his bar, pours a drink, but then he looks at his hands and they're just shaking. Right, and that's a really it's a small moment, but it speaks volumes to like his pure fear, you know? And, and then so he pours a drink and as he's, as he's drinking the drink, then you hear a, uh, you hear a noise in the bedroom. And this is whenever like as much as I knew that you were in for this episode, like I just knew that this was going to be like, you know, if, if you're standing up and applauding this, this is what was going to be that moment for, for my imagining of you watching the episode. Yeah. Well, I just want to go back to the hands trembling. I just like in how much of a contrast is from how sure he is when he leaves that apartment the first time. Yeah. <laughs> he comes back just such a mess at the end of this. I love it. So, yeah, he hears the sound in the bedroom and uh, he starts hearing like weird animal sounds and everything. So he opens up the bedroom door and first you see the room's a mess. You see that Doris is laying most likely dead in the bed there and he opens the door further and there's a grown lion standing <laughs> in the bedroom yeah. yeah and like the way that they they show his wife kind of like tossed off to the side i get that this is 1961 so you can't go graphic but everything about the way she's lying in bed is wrong you know and so then when you oh, see yeah. the lion yeah. and you just see and it cuts back to his face as he's like realizing like you know like which is an incredible reaction. Uh, yeah. And then the episode ends with the lion coming off the bed and jumping over the camera, but towards it. And so, and you hear these noises and you know, uh, Alan doesn't quite make it. And that's the end of your episode for all the times <laughs> yeah. I talk about wishing that the, ep- that the twilight zone would just end like a hammer of an ending. This is it. This was like, just boom, we're done. Lions eating. We're done. Like, you know, magic is real and it's coming to get you, you know, type of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I love my dark endings. I just wish he would have been more of a bastard the entire episode. <laughs> Cause in the short story, like he definitely deserves it. Um, so I'll, I'll mention, I, I don't want to go too crazy in the comparisons and everything, but the short story takes place in Africa. Uh, Alan's character in that he has a different name. I can't remember it. Um, He's basically he's built this giant city over top of the jungle in Africa and uh, there's overpopulation issues and the air quality is is terrible. Everything's falling apart. So they're selecting like a certain 500,000 people to come down and live in this new metropolis that he has designed. Um, So the people that were there, all the natives really have a reason to be upset with what's going on because he literally steamrolled over their jungle and over their homes to put up this just metropolis, this concrete jungle, if you will. Yeah. There's a lot of the comparisons to uh, um, the city being a jungle and everything, um, which I think they did a decent job with that comparison in this episode as well, but they really hammer it home in that. Um, but he is unrepentant in that, in that short story. And you, you really, you're really rooting for the, uh, witch doctors to get him by the end of that thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I wish we would have had that cause they, they start you off 
just it kind of being against him and being like siding with the wife like uh you should probably listen to her like all these signs are pointing bad but then they give you the sympathy for him much like last episode where i have this questionable sympathy for a certain character or a characters um they want you to side with him during the rest of it but at the same time like he's the one that's ignoring the wishes of this whole group of people in another country yeah and like he should be the bad guy in this one and they treat him at times as that but you're supposed to feel some sort of sympathy for him through the whole thing so it's kind of a it was was weird emotionally watching this episode (laughs) um but yeah, it, I think the short story, it, it is a little bit too long. Um, if you didn't enjoy the first 10 minutes of this episode, I would say don't really bother with the short story because <laughs> there is a lot. Uh, I listened to the audiobook and it was about an hour and 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. And it, the last 20 minutes of it are basically this episode of him getting lost in the city and being hunted down by the, the ghost of the jungle that was underneath the metropolis that he had set up. So there is a lot of back and forth between him and other characters and him and the witch doctor. And, uh, it, it can be kind of a slog to get through and the changes that he made for this outside of, uh, the questionable sympathies that lie with, (laughs) with Alan in this and his flip flopping in the beginning. I think the changes, uh, for pacing sake were amazing in this episode. But it's it's kind of a slog to get through at some of it because you can get the points that he's trying to get across in that you can get them across way way quicker and uh, with a lot more a um, lot more tension in the twenty five minute episode. Yeah, that sounds like it. Um, but that's that's interesting. I, I I like the Beaumont like from what we know of what you know for his stories and, and what you've talked about his his writing. He he isn't afraid to get out there. But I think he also recognizes his limitations too at times for television. So you're right. It's good yeah. that he was able to take what worked and, and turn it into something more approachable. Yeah. Well, he had written this like years before. And uh, I was reading this whole article talking about uh, the relationship again between him and Ray Bradbury because uh, Ray Bradbury is kind of a mentor to him who read his stories and um, gave him feedback on a lot of his shorts. And there are definite influences from a lot of authors from before this time. And I think he wrote that story before he had really found his own voice. Mm. So being able to go back to it, uh, probably like 10 years later from when it was written, it was published in 54, but I'm sure he wrote it at least a couple of years before that, um, be able to go back to it 10 years later when maybe he had a better sense of identity as a writer probably helped this episode as well. Yeah. And plus also, I mean, anytime being, you know, any type of creative thing where you have time to let something ruminate, you're like, you know what, maybe, maybe I'll approach that differently. So yeah, look at like, uh, invaders going into, uh, Matheson rewriting it for the prey short story. Uh, when we were talking about it, you know, well, it was I, just I, one of those things like, Hey, maybe uh 20 years later, I'm going to take a stab at this again. No pun intended, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure even like with you writing music, I'm sure you revisit something later and be like, you know what? I like this and this, but I could change that. You know, there's yes. probably a way you yeah. feel about things differently after the fact. Right. So, um, yeah, sometimes it's fun to go back and do that, but sometimes it's nice to just let something be and just be a timestamp of your career. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like adapting it to a different medium it's a little bit, uh, it's, it's kind of a different beast again, no pun intended <laughs> than, uh, just like rewriting the same story again 
and just making changes and uh, doing it in the same platform. Yeah. I don't know. So um, I have, I do have an anecdote about Beaumont, which I'll, I'll get to that in a second. It's a little, a little wordy, um, but we should talk about the last member of the cast here real quick. Uh, yeah. Zamba yeah. or Zamba, the lion. Uh, he, he had a lot more credits than probably most of this cast combined. I didn't know his history. This guy, this lion uh, was quite, uh, quite the actor and performer. Um, his IMDb page is actually quite long in terms of what he's done and his, uh, facts or facts by his life. I don't know what you wrote down about him. I, he has 27 credits to his name. I have two I'll mention here. I don't know what, what you have in terms of, uh, his life and times as being a performing well, lion. A lot of, a lot of TV appearances like Adam's family, Gilligan's Island. I dream a genie. Like you've probably seen him. If you grew up watching these shows, Beverly Hillbillies, mm-hmm. um, if you've seen any of those shows with a line at Lost in Space, even um, you've probably seen uh, Zamba before. Yeah. So the two things I, I found as IMDb that were facts, quote unquote facts about him, I liked was uh, when it came to movies, Zamba preferred westerns, whatever. That, like to be in them or to watch them, it doesn't say. Uh, uh, his favorite comedy was Kentucky Fried <laughs> Movie. <laughs> yes, right. Um, and he liked Thomas Jefferson. Weirdly enough, no. His his best buddy was a jaguar named Raunchy. Like, <laughs> like was, Raunchy the Jaguar. Raunchy Love the it. Jaguar. He was uh, good friends with Robert Mitchum too. I didn't uh, know that, but I like. They, <laughs> they met on the set of Rampage and became great friends. Apparently, I just I guess he was like the most easygoing animal and he like they 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 originally found him in like you know close to death and he was just a very very um easygoing lion which that's a rarity because i I guess he didn't really have the same tendencies that most male lions would have well i wrote down some history so there's this guy ralph uh helfner helfer um who was an exotic animal trainer up until the 50s animal training and um animal supervisors for film were really cruel to the animals. And he was one of the first people to really, um, treat animals correctly and, um, fight animal abuse within the entertainment industry. So he developed this company called gentle jungle and he trained the animals and he was really loving and really cared for the animals. And so all of the exotic animals that he would bring onto the movie sets and everything were some of the most mild tempered animals. And Zamba was definitely the standout in his, uh, on his, on his land and in his collection, I guess, if you want to call it a collection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was, um, just seeing the lion at the end of this though, I mean, which we'd seen an elephant and, um, what was it a uh, world of his own? I think was the episode. So like we've seen animals show up before, but to have it on a bed with a woman and then jump towards the camera to me was like, I, I just can't believe that they got not, not got away with it, but they pulled it off. And, and to make the episode end so starkly, you know, so that was uh, good on Zamba to, uh, to be uh, able to do that. That makes me wonder what wonderful uh, treat they had above the camera to make him be like, I want that. And then jump over the camera, you know, it so. was the human finger. It was the, the human finger. It was actually the dead goat. They just had it behind the camera. Like you didn't yeah, realize that go. was an actual dead goat that they fed to Zamba. But uh, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe uh, Ralph Helfer brought it on set and was yeah. like, like hey we can use that <laughs> i would have believed that he was gentle with the line but he's like i, I got goats i can just kill this one right now I'm like we don't need you it's, it's dead it's already <laughs> dead guys i just killed the goat like fine you know 
Uh, and I, <laughs> I have this uh, Ravenclaw as well, or whatever. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so I have a little bit, it's a, it's a little lengthy, but if you bear with me, I have a Charles Beaumont um, story from a friend well, I of just, his. I want, I want to mention Zamba yeah. as well, lived to 18 years old and died from natural causes uh, <laughs> on a nice reserve that Ralph Helfer had in California. Yeah, nice, nice, peaceful life for the lion. So that's good. Um, yeah. he wasn't dyed black like the one animal, uh, the one cat and beast master and then died shortly thereafter. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> um, so a friend of, um, of Beaumont's William F. Nolan tells the story. So just bear with me here. I think it's worth talking about because it, the, the, this book mentions that Beaumont was familiar with fear in like an urban setting. Uh, Nolan says one night I remember we had gone to a late night horror movie. I'd parked my car that night in the parking lot of one of the big stores along Wilshire. We came out of the theater and we were walking back to the car, two supposedly sophisticated adults, and we got ourselves so hyped up talking about the horror film that we'd seen in other horrors and the kind of crazy people that are wandering the streets that could strike at you from the dark, from any building front, any alley, they could be there. Chuck was fascinated with all that stuff. When we got to the lot, we saw a car parked next to mine. There were only two cars in the whole lot, my car and this one, and some kind of figure was sitting there, kind of slumped over sideways and just kind of staring. I said, oh shit, Chuck. That guy looks like some kind of maniac to me. And Chuck said, here are the possibilities. Chuck would always take his fingers and be like, he could be one, dead. He could be a dead man, and we certainly don't want to be involved with that. And I said, no, I don't want to get involved with some dead guy. And he's like, two? He could be some kind of pervert or killer wanting, waiting for us to get into your car and strike. And I said, it's possible we could be. I know this sounds crazy, but at the time of the night, after what we'd gone through, it seemed perfectly logical. And he's like, or three? He could just be an ordinary person waiting for his wife to come out of someplace. But if you were an ordinary person, what are you doing in a parking lot alone at three in the morning? I said, I don't know, Chuck, but I tell you one thing, we're taking the bus home tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that like, you know, that Beaumont just got him so freaked out. I was like, that's it. I'm leaving my car. I don't want to hear, get near that guy. We're taking the bus. So yeah, <laughs> that's really funny. It ties perfectly into this episode. Yeah. So <laughs> Um, yeah, this is, like I said, it started off a little rough, like, well, the beginning of the episode's like, whoa, what's going on? And then that weird boardroom scene, which is fine. It gets the point. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's rough. Like it, it flip flops a lot and it's, yeah. it's questionable on where, like I said, the, uh, sympathies lie with Alan and everything, but, uh, it goes by so fast in the first couple minutes that it honestly, until you sit down and dissect, dissect the episode, you really, aren't thinking about these things while you're watching it. It's, yeah. it's one of the breeziest episodes I think we've ever watched for the show. Yeah. So, I mean, like I just knew, like I said, the last uh, two thirds of this was like pure Kevin country. And I don't like, it was atmospheric, moody, creepy, well shot, and then just a hammer of an ending. So like I, it was, it was nice and refreshing after I'm not saying we had bad episodes previous to this recently, but it was nice to see one that I had not seen before and be surprised at where it went and how it was pulled off. Yeah, and I, I'm always excited to see some horror pop yeah. up in uh, Twilight Zone. And this felt we uh, he explored some themes that we've seen in the show so far, but this episode felt like no other episode. Yeah, and I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah. Do you have any other any other notes about Zamba and and what movies he liked and didn't like, or notes about uh, the jungle in general? No, I just, uh, we can jump into the twist and give our final thoughts there. Uh, rare air for me. I'm going to give this a five because I didn't expect an actual lion at the end and that it would kill his wife and then him. And that'd be the end of the episode. Yep. I'm with you. Five. <laughs> <laughs> 
I they threw me off with the costume shop. I was really expecting something like that to come back, and I, to be honest, was not looking forward to that coming back because uh, it was a little bit questionable. Um, but like you said, the fact that there was a real lion on set with the actors and jumping over the camera and all that, I was not expecting them to go that far with this. And uh, it was awesome. Yeah. This was... Uh, it's not my favorite episode. Uh, Paul was trying to hype me up, telling me it was going to be my favorite episode we've ever watched. It wasn't my favorite, um, but this is this is up there for the season. I had a lot of fun with this one, probably more so than I should have. <laughs> yeah, well, because you had a sacred death stone, you know, so it was just important to to have that near you while watching it. So anyway, I, I got nothing. But anyway, um, yeah, that's going to do it for the jungle. Uh, Kevin, how can people find us? You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Strange Highways Podcast. You can email us and leave us voicemails at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about this episode. I'd love to hear people's takes on this one because um, there's quite a bit to unpack. This is the first episode in a while that there is uh, so much to dig into. Um, and please, people, go check out that uh, Charles Beaumont collection on Audible or even just the Kindle edition of it. Uh, I'm, I'm always really impressed every time I read or listen to a Charles Beaumont story. Cause like I said, before we started the show, I had no idea who he was and he's become one of my favorites. And, uh, I will recommend that short story just to finish up that it, the decomposition of the dying people is disgusting and the jungle rot that they talk about Ugh. is way more detailed than uh, what they do in this episode. So nobody's just dropping dead. Uh, people are rotting while they're still alive, laying in beds and stuff. So um, go check it out. <laughs> but I'd love to hear, if you do check out that book, I'd love to hear what you guys think about the short stories of any of these. Um, but yeah, email strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. And then you can subscribe to us at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Satchel, anywhere you can find podcasts. We are there. And it would definitely help us out if you would rate and review us on iTunes. Drop us that uh, five-star review. Yeah, or else we're going to put a curse on you. And you'll have to throw fingers into a fire or something. I don't know. Like, yeah. They just come home. and have they, to watch out for Zamba, <laughs> the most mild-mannered, mannered, lovable lion ever. <laughs> they, they get home, and they're just about to pour a drink, and they just hear... Yeah, they hear me trying to find something on Google coming from their bedroom. Like, what's that noise? And it's just me not having my information correct. That's what's going to be. (laughs) (laughs) And I will fall over the camera. That's what's going to happen. But no. uh, (laughs) You're cursed with incorrect information for the rest of the Strange Highway show. Cursed. Yes. Uh, So next episode, um, Once Upon a Time. Uh, So let me read the intro for this and... And we'll, we'll <laughs> I, I will not, I, I've watched this one in preparation for next week. I'm not going to say anything else. We'll get there when we get there. I cannot wait to hear Kevin's reaction to this episode. <clears throat> next week on the Twilight Zone, we bring to the television cameras a most unique gentleman whose own very special brand of clown up has long ago become a milestone in American humor. Mr. Buster Keaton appears in Once Upon a Time, a script written especially for him by Richard Matheson. This one is wild, woolly, and most unpredictable. On the Twilight Zone next week, Mr. Buster Keaton and Once Upon a Time.
Yes. There's a time helmet so. involved. That's <laughs> I, I'm excited, though, because it's Matheson and it's Buster Keaton. So it should be kind of cool. There, um, yeah, there will be some conversation about that, but I cannot yeah, wait I'm, to I'm hear. Yeah, I'm weary about the time helmet. <laughs> oh, if only I could fast forward with a time helmet into next week by now and listen to your reaction to the episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Hope you guys enjoyed the jungle as much as we did because this was a great episode. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Um, but yeah, that's I, I guess... Uh, Guess don't get in your car on the passenger side if you're trying to, to actually drive the car. That seems weird. And always hang on to your protective amulets because you never know when you might get attacked by a lion. I got nothing. Yeah. I was just reminded uh, just to respect other people's cultures and superstitions <laughs> in uh, both these stories. That's a, that's a, you know what? That's a, actually a really nice positive lesson. So yeah, keep that in mind. Yeah, people. I actually, I, I'm not going to say I learned that because I always try and do that, but uh <laughs> It was a nice reminder in this day and age because uh, the short story in this definitely drove that home. Like, I don't want to be mauled by a lion. So be nice to other people and don't be a Nazi. <laughs> something if you wanted to get hold of a dead goat on an hour's notice where would you go to a psychiatrist <laughs>